allow me to inform you that tonight is not a normal or a typical Sunday. Today we are celebrating two years of God's faithfulness to us as a church here on the West Side. That's pretty exciting. It's worth a woo. It is worth a woo. Just a single woo. That's what it's worth. Um, Again, yeah, this marks us entering our third year of life. So I'm curious if it's okay, like this is kind of a no-no, but I am going to find out who was here at our first gathering, October uh, 2015. October 18th, 2015. Thank you, Meadows. Holy smokes. Who's here? Raise them high like you're proud. Oh, there we go. Awesome. Okay, now here's the next question. Who was here or who was with uh, my house October 2014 for our very first ever collective church prayer meeting? Anybody? Lorenzo, my son was. Chase, Chase, put your hand up. Chase, you're the only one else there. There's like six. No, you weren't there. No, no. Six people. You guys weren't there either. You're a lot of late. You guys just got saved like two months ago. So, joking. <laughs> so, uh, there's only like six people there. So, I don't want, I don't, there's no pressure. But those six people, we made it our aim as a church to make sure that this church is grounded, sustained, and thriving in prayer. Now, it's crazy that our first prayer meeting, um, this is actually very beautiful in my opinion. Do you guys have any idea what we prayed for? Anybody remember? Chase, we just talked about it. You remember? That's all right, fine. Here's what we prayed for. We pray, our very first prayer meeting was, God, would you make us a bold church? I thought that was beautiful. Would you make us a bold a church, a church that would take great risks? A church that wouldn't hide it under a bushel. A church that knew the extreme scale of God. Not that just God is beyond this world, but God is beyond the beyond. And so from there in my living room, we we grew to about 60 people in my living room. If some of you guys were there for those nights, that was rough, but it was awesome. Kids running around, stealing food, people crying. It It was crazy. Then we moved out and we started six prayer meetings all over the West Side. Anybody remember that as well, I hope? And so as it As it came about, our desire this entire time, reflecting back, was to become a healthy and multiplying expression of Christ Church in each of the 23 neighborhoods that make up the west side of Los Angeles. So we wanted to start this church based off multiplication right away. And then we gathered on Saturday nights in preparation for all that God could and would do. And then October 2015, we got insane in the membrane, right? And we went for it. We went for it. We did something in and by and for God. We did something, I think, bold. In one of the most challenging cities and one of the craziest destinations in all of the country. Lorenzo and I had this incredible opportunity last week to have lunch with a church planter. And as he's sitting down, he's from from London. As he's sitting down, the very first thing, literally as he's sitting, that comes out of his mouth is this. You know, is the West Side, I'm not even going to try to ask, is the West Side, uh, is it really a graveyard for churches. That's the first thing he asks. Is the West Side a graveyard for churches? And Lorenzo and I kind of looked at each other, then we looked at him and we basically said, yeah, in a way it kind of is. Meaning, we shouldn't exist. This does not make sense. We should not exist. And neither should any of the amazing churches that are on the West Side, including the one we're in right now. We should have dissolved forever ago. There shouldn't be any baptisms in our history. There shouldn't be any stories of people getting saved or disciples made or sermons preached or friendships started and so on. But that's the thing. 
we're going to get into it, a church plant here, a church plant in general, to be part of a church, to be the church, is one of the riskiest, radical things one can do. That's why we started our prayer meeting imploring for boldness to receive, to interact with what, all that God wants for us here on the west side. So I want to share a little bit tonight. There's a story in the Old Testament in a book called Numbers. If you guys want to turn there now. Numbers chapter 13. If you have one of our borrowed Bibles, it's page 69 for you. Now, Numbers is one of my favorite books. And to me, one of the most interesting books in the Bible. Because essentially, this book that we're going to read tonight should not have been written. Numbers should not have been written. Numbers is unnecessary. It's a story of men and women called the Israelites who were given a chance, who were given a charge, and given an opportunity, and as a community, as a whole, they decided against it. Here's this amazing chance, and the entire community together got together and said, nah. And the destructive aftermath of that fatal decision is the book of Numbers. It records communities, the community's failings, it records the community's wanderings, and their unnecessary struggle. Tonight, friends, for us entering our third year, Numbers 13 is a true cautionary tale for each and every one of us, for the church. So here's what I'd like to do. I want us to be inspired, and I want us to be charged up tonight by God's very living and active word from the book of Numbers, while at the same time, take some time tonight here and there, to reflect and receive over the past 12 months and looking onward to the next 12 months. So again, this isn't a normal teaching or a normal night. Again, bear with me if you just walked in. This is, this is not a typical Sunday. But I do ask that you guys would be pumped because we're going we're gonna to celebrate some really great information, some reports, and see what God's going to do again in the next 12 months. But before any of that, I want us to learn a colossal lesson from our friends, the Israelites. We do not want to miss the chance, the charge, the opportunity that Numbers 13 starts with. God has taken his people, if you guys remember, to the promised land, to the border of the promised land from bondage and oppressed slavers, and he's going to give them a land of their very own called Canaan. And let's pick it up right there. Verse 1. Of chapter 13. The Lord spoke to Moses saying, send men to spy out the land of Canaan, which I am giving to the people of Israel. From each tribe of their fathers, you shall send a man, every one a chief among them. And verses 3 through 17, I want it up here on the screen if possible. Does everybody see this? This is a really crazy long list of people's names. Real people's names. Stick with me for a moment. Numbers 13 does not start with a strategy. Numbers 13 does not start with a list of weapons. Numbers 13 does not start with a list of tactics. It starts with a list of very real people's names. Now, I love this. One of the many beauties of a genealogy, and let's, if we can just be honest for a moment, when a genealogy comes up in our Bible reading, if we read the Bible, don't we immediately just do this? <laughs> Skip. Like we just immediately go over, right? Who cares? But this, this, this is how God wants to accomplish his agenda, both in and for the Israelites. 
And the same thing happens today for his purposes, that being men and women appointed, committed, compelled to participate in accomplishing the will of God. So we want to do something right off the bat tonight that we believe in, have conviction, and are very, very um, excited about. It's going to take us into our next year. But I want to invite up Pastor Lorenzo, who's going to really be talking about the bulk of this. But we're going to be going over two very foundational things for us as a church in order to move forward. Pastor Lorenzo. Yeah, let's do it. You need this? Can I borrow this? Yeah. Thank you. All right. Our mission as a church, in summary, is to reach people and to make disciples. It's more complicated than that, but in summary, it's really that simple. And everything that we do as a church is geared around those two things, reaching people and making disciples. And we want to do this as a community of embedded missionaries and neighbors on the west side and not just gather 52 times a year as commuters. It's about having a presence here on the west side, being a true community that is committed and dedicated and completely sold out for reaching people and making disciples. We believe that God's mission, we've said this a lot, it's even featured prominently on our website right now, God's mission is the church's commission. So to be fully engaged in a local church is to be engaged in God's mission. We really believe that. And mission membership is, is something that we have developed to align God's people with his purposes for the church. We wanted a way to take that commitment that people had already made in their hearts and formalize it in such a way that could, it could be identified and expressed. And mission members, those that are our mission members, are those that have their, the desire and the opportunity to fully embrace our mission and express a high level of commitment to it. And so if you are a mission member and you've not yet been presented on a Sunday as a mission member, I would invite you to come, up, come on up now and we would like to take care of that. So you know who you are if you're a mission member, if you've not been yet presented on a Sunday, you received an email from me this week, come on up to the front right now. So as I said, we want to present these people as mission members at Collective Church. I'll step forward a little bit so I can get out of your guys' way. And uh, the reason why we want to do this is because in doing so, in presenting them as mission members, um, the commitment that they have made to God and to you and to one another is acknowledged, is affirmed, and is made public. And in going public, they are saying, I am willing to go on record and to be accountable to my commitment, to this commitment that I am making. And so, the question, and you guys can answer behind me, uh, the question I have to you guys as mission members as we seek right now to present you and commission you as mission members, my question to you is, do you as mission members desire to express and fulfill the commitments associated with mission membership for God's glory, His mission, and the good of the collective church community? If so, say, I do. I do. Awesome. And so what we want to do right now in presenting these mission members, and, and this is just a handful of them. Some of them have already been presented. Uh, there we have about 40 mission members, and uh, we are excited to be able to do this because this is really evidence of God's grace and evidence of people joining together to see the mission of God move forward. And so you guys that are up here right now already have people just like you that have made commitments 
out there watching you right now and looking at you and praying for you. So what we want to do is do that right now. I'm going to have Pastor Casey come on over and we are going to pray for these mission members who have decided to make this public declaration of their commitment. And join with me in prayer. Jesus, we pray for these mission members. We thank you for their willingness and their desire and the opportunity that they have in their lives to be able to fully commit and fully engage to your mission through Collective Church. We thank you, God, for the work that you've done on their lives, for the way that you transformed them and changed them and, and brought them into a saving knowledge of yourself. And Lord, as they recognize the incredible work of the gospel in their lives and your incredible love for them, and as they are seeking to acknowledge that and respond to that and get on board with your mission by taking this formal process and formal uh, way of expressing their commitment to your mission, your people, to one another, and uh, are seeking to be used by you in this way, Lord, I pray that you would bless them. I pray that you would fill their, your, their hearts with an understanding of your love for them and the things that you are calling them to and grow in them a greater desire to be fully uh, a part of your work, to see your mission and your work thrive here on the west side as together we seek to reach people and make disciples. These people that are making this public declaration and this public commitment now, Lord, bless them, we pray. And we thank you for them as a church community. In your name we do pray, amen. Thank you, everybody. Thank you so much. Now, before you all walk away, there's a hand, there's six of you, Jenny, Kyle, where, where, well, so it's, it's, where's Tad? Is Tad around? There's Tad, Ethan, Jenny, yes. Gretchen, where's Gretchen? There you are. One, two, three, four, five, six. Sean. <laughs> Should have just written down their names, right? And be less of a guessing game for me. Now, uh, these people, um, we would love to introduce you to them as our very first deacons. We, we've been wanting to appoint deacons for, in our church for a while now, and it's important to, to us because it is a biblical office. So typically, we make a big deal of the office of pastor and elder, not because pastors and elders are better than everybody else, but to be a biblical church, we want to have those offices established in our church. And in the same way, we've been wanting to have deacons for quite a while now. And... Uh, the, there's a bit of a challenge as it relates to deacons, though, because when you look at what the Bible says uh, and what the Bible has to say about deacons, what's interesting is that it doesn't shed a lot of light on what they do or what their role and what their responsibility is. And that's why what a deacon is and what a deacon does varies to a great degree from church to church, and that's assuming they even have deacons at all. What is crystal clear um, in scripture, there's really two things that are crystal clear and two things that everybody agrees on as it relates to deacons. Uh, number one, the, the word deacon means servant, which implies to some degree the type of role and the responsibility they have and the type of leadership role and responsibility that they have, that they are servants. And secondly, what everyone agrees on is that the Bible lays out certain qualifications for deacons. And what I want to do is read those qualifications to you from 1 Timothy chapter 3. And as I read them to you, I would like to at the same time scare all of you uh, with what the Bible says here. So hear this, take this to heart, and I want you guys to really be processing these things. 1 Timothy, and, and some of this, to be honest, Casey and I were talking about this earlier. Some of this requires a little bit of explanation. We don't have time to get into it fully tonight. So I may insert a little commentary here and there. But 1 Timothy chapter 3, starting at verse at Verse 8 says, Deacons likewise must be dignified, not double-tongued, 
not addicted to much wine. So maybe Sean, like that. <laughs> I'm kidding, I'm kidding, I'm kidding. Uh, not addicted to much wine, not greedy for dishonest gain. They must hold the mystery of the faith with a clear conscience and let them also be tested first and let them serve as deacons if they prove themselves blameless. Their wives, are, and that's a bit of an unfortunate translation, it could also be understood women, likewise must be dignified, not slanders, not sober-minded, faithful in all things. Let deacons each be the husband of one wife or the wife of one husband. The implication there is faithfulness to their spouse. Um, managing their children and their own households well. For those who serve well as deacons gain a good standing for themselves and also great confidence in the faith that is in Christ Jesus. So we understand, so in light of those qualifications, we have deemed that these six people here, and we have other deacons that will be appointed in the coming uh, weeks and months, but these six um, fulfill and meet these biblical qualifications. And in, in light of these qualifications and in light of our understanding of the role and responsibility of a deacon, um, the role of a deacon, the biblical office of a deacon at Collective Church, we have landed on this. A deacon is a biblically qualified man or woman appointed by the elders to serve in a ministry capacity requiring a higher degree of responsibility and trust. So what that means is the way that they serve and the way that they contribute is not better than any of the rest of you who serve here. And we have a lot of people who serve here and we're very thankful for you. But this doesn't make them better than anybody else in any particular way. What this means is that unfortunately for them, there's a higher level of scrutiny in their lives to be able to live up to these things. We are not examining every single volunteer in our church. We are not examining everyone's lives in light of the standards of a deacon. But we are doing that with these six here. And so that's how we understand the role and responsibility and the office of a biblical deacon. And so today we're going to appoint these six people and, uh, to serve as deacons as long as they serve in the current ministry capacities that they are in. The role of deacon and the office of a deacon is not a rank that they attain and hold for life. Uh, it's very specifically linked to their function and their role within the church. Uh, if someone were to step down for whatever reason to serve in another capacity that may or may not, or that may not be uh, a deacon role, um, they would no longer be a deacon. And as their role is passed on and the responsibility is passed on to someone else to serve in their stead, that person would then take on um, the office of a deacon, assuming they are biblically qualified. So for as long as they serve in these capacities, uh, we are appointing them as deacons. And... Um, so we have Ethan Paulson, and I'll just try and riff here. Ethan Paulson is our music ministry coordinator. He works closely with Pastor Casey to coordinate and to sync up our Sunday gatherings so that our, Sunday, so that our talks and our worship times all lead to, in, in a combined synergistic kind of way, an encounter with Jesus. Then we have Kyle here. Kyle is uh, our ministry assistant. He works with Pastor Casey and I quite closely. He's worked with us almost every single day. He adds a lot of value. He does a lot of stuff with us. And, and because he's engaged in, and involved in the way he is, he has proven himself faithful. How long have you been serving in this capacity? Eight months. Eight months. So over time, he has become more and more valuable by proving his faithfulness and, and establishing trust. And we've been able to delegate a lot of things to him so that the ministry can move forward much beyond what Pastor Casey and I can contribute ourselves. And so we're very thankful for him. 
And then we have Jenny here. Jenny is our volunteer coordinator, and her job is to, from A to Z, work with all of our volunteers from the incoming form of a person saying, hey, I want to serve to a placement on a team. She's an administrative ninja, and I don't know how she keeps it all together, but we're incredibly grateful for the way that she coordinates all those ministry efforts. And then we have Tad here. Tad is our uh, he's one of our site coordinators, and as well as Sean on the end, so I'll just talk about both of them for a minute. Our site coordinators work with all the people, and they serve the people that serve. So basically, we've got a lot of volunteers, and so Tad and Sean serve you guys as you serve everybody else. And they help to protect our, our ministry values and our ministry principles so that we're serving as an act of worship unto Jesus. They help protect our relationship with Risen Church, this church here, so that we could, we could just leave this place in a presentable way when we leave it. And so a lot has been entrusted to them because really all that the rest of the volunteer teams do, it kind of com comes back on Sean and on Tad to be able to serve those teams well and, and they're amazing. And then we have Gretchen who is our uh, Discover Coordinator and our Mission Member Coordinator. And so what that means, our entire uh, Discover class process, of which there are three classes, and our Mission Member process, she's the one that coordinates all of that. Another administrative ninja, she's an engineer by trade, so that makes sense. Uh, she keeps it all dialed in. And this is an incredible, uh, incredibly important role in our church because, um, as I just mentioned a minute ago, uh, mission membership is about aligning God's people with God's intention and God's purpose for the church, and, and Gretchen is the one that keeps that all completely dialed in. So we're very thankful for these people. And so, just as I commissioned the mission members just a minute ago, I have a, something I'd like to ask you guys. And my question to you guys as deacons is, well, first of all, let me say to you and charge you that we have found you to meet these biblical qualifications, to serve as deacons, and you are being entrusted to serve in this biblical office. And so my question to you is, do you willingly and humbly accept the, the appointment to this biblical office for God's glory, his mission, and the good of the collective church com community? If you do, say, I do. All right. Pastor Casey, I'm going to come on over now, and we are going to pray for these deacons and commission them to the Lord's service. Thank you, Lord, for these six people who serve in this capacity, who in accordance with the biblical qualifications have proven their faithfulness and served well. We thank you, Lord, for the ways that they have sought to contribute to your body and the way that they've served us as we seek to be on mission and minister to people, reaching people, making disciples. I pray, Lord, that in the ministry capacities that they serve and in this biblical office that they now hold, as they've made this commitment before this congregation and before you, Jesus, that you would empower them, that empower them with your Holy Spirit. We recognize that without you, we can do nothing. And so it's not by power or by might. We don't strive in the flesh for these things, but as they stay intimately close with you and as they seek to be a blessing to everyone they come in contact with, as they seek to facilitate the worshipful response of God's people who contribute to the work of the ministry through their service and through the contribution of their gifts, may you, Lord, empower them by your Holy Spirit. May you cause them to be a blessing to this church community and may you develop them and continue to develop them a, a, a depth of character that, is, that becomes exemplary to this body. And we commission them now. In your name we pray, amen. Thank you so much. Let's all give them a round of appreci applause, appreciating what they're doing. Thank you guys so much.
little do they know by making them say I do is they're all married now. So look at verse 17 of, chapters, uh, of Numbers chapter 13. As we wanted to start our tonight with a list of people's names, I want to now continue on to see what the church, what these people who've just walked away from up here, have signed up for. So we're going to, again, continue our cautionary tale as we can continue down talking and celebrating, reflecting on what God has done for us these past 12 months and the next 12 months. So verse 17. Moses sent them to spy out the land of Canaan and said to them, go up to the land of Negeb and go up into the hill country and see what the land is and whether the people who dwell there are strong or weak, whether there are few or many, whether the land that they dwell in is good or bad and whether the cities that they dwell in are camps or strongholds and whether the land is rich or poor and whether there are trees in it or not, be of good courage and bring some of the fruit of the land now the time was the season of the first ripe grapes. And then for the sake of time, look at verse 25. At the end of the 40 days, they returned from spying out the land. They brought back word to them all to the congregation and showed them the fruit of the land. And they told them, we came to the land to which you sent us. It flows with milk and honey, and this is its fruit. The spies return after 40 days of covert spying, James Bonding, and their report is 100% food related. 100%. I don't know about you, but that's how I report about everything, right? How was the funeral? The food was great. Like, that's just, that's how we do it. We judge cities by food. We judge traveling by food. I will judge you by what you order at a restaurant. We judge everything by its food, and it's no different for the Israelites, right? It's flowing with milk and honey, They've got 1% and 2% and almond milk on tap. Let's take this land. <laughs> Obviously, it's not what it really means. They're just saying it's good for crops. Like this, place, this place is great for crops and grazing. And they're, they're, it's, a, it's, a, it's a great home for a delicacy, delicacy that is honey. This is a good place. And it says that they brought grapes back and that it took two men to carry the grapes. So either these grapes were the size of volleyballs or the cluster was massive, but it was so heavy, one of the leaders are like, Joe, help me carry these grapes. <laughs> like he couldn't do it. And again, imagine how big these are. This is before food steroids. This, that blew my mind. So they've assessed, or they've assessed, they've seen, and now they've returned and they're reporting. They're reporting. They say the land is ripe. They say the land is ready. The land is beautiful. Do you see these grapes? This is an encouragement and visual aid of the trustworthiness of God in order for this group of people to cross the threshold into the unknown. So if I can for the next two moments, report. If I can do the next, take the next two moments and report to bring before this entire community, collective church, fruit of what God has given us and encouragement about the bountiful trustworthiness of God. Sometimes when churches take times like these throughout the year, and we try to do it at least quarterly, to give data and information about where we've come from, some of the figures we've seen, it can be very, very dry and very, very boring. I know that. I get that. I would just love if we were a church committed to reversing that and be like, no, this is exciting. If we can get jazz hands and just be pumped about these figures and allow me to share them for a few moments and just get, eh, sound good? 
Ryan, was that you? God bless you. <laughs> so if you've been with us this past year, it is no surprise to say that this past nine to 12 months was an unbelievably challenging year. Many of you know that it was how I've described a personal hell for my family and I. Many of you also were kind enough, the church was kind enough, to give us a gift that was a sabbatical. And I say this wholeheartedly, my family, myself, is in a debt of gratitude to you forever. That is a gift that I will never be able to repay. But despite this year's many, many hardships, and there were a lot, seen or unseen, whether you knew it or didn't, there were a lot. A year and a half in. Yet, you guys, you gals, crushed it. You absolutely crushed it. Proving once again that this church, that we are not here because of a personality, because of a pastor, because we have record-breaking music, because of our amazing cookies, or because of convenience. I will inform you, though, if it wasn't obvious, People who wanted and people who did for these past 9 to 12 months who came to spiritually consume rather than spiritually contribute, a good bit of them have left. And they have left our Sunday gathering, as you can tell from our attendance. So our gathering attendance has gone down, and that is perfectly fine. That is completely fine. Here's the thing. We currently, as of right now, have 99 volunteers. 99. Some are Sunday specific, some are in support and admin roles, but we have 99 amazing volunteers. Can we just take a moment and thank all of our volunteers, please? <laughs> in a church our size where our attendance went down due to some of the challenges of last year, our average attendance being about 134, 99 are volunteers. 99. That's insane. I would love, though, if somebody could sign up tonight so we could say it's 100. It's just <laughs> bumming me out. But if we could do that, that would be great. Our engagement level in this small community is through the roof. So when we hear these numbers, these are not figures just to go in one ear and out the other. These are men and women who have high stakes in this community, who invest, who do more than just sit passively, who care. If this is your first time here. You should hear about 99 people who really, really care. There's obviously other people who care as well. I'm not leaving you out. This is also evident even in our discipleship groups and our disciple-making efforts. By discipleship, I mean... Those who wholeheartedly follow the hallway of Jesus with their whole life. Like, that's what we're talking about as far as disciple-making efforts. We've often said that the responsibility in our church, in any church, in Christendom, of being discipled and making disciples is first and foremost an individual responsibility. We cannot care far more about your discipleship than you do. Well, maybe. No, you have to care. You have to care. Well, we unbelievably, we're unbelievably, as pastors of this church, happy to report that 80% of our church has taken up that responsibility. 80% of our church is involved in disciple-making efforts. 
and the fact that nobody is applauding right now is bumming me out. That's amazing. Dave, thank you. I saw that. You're writing it down. Okay. We have two main rhythms at this church other than our Sunday gathering. And there's many clusters of disciple groups across the west side. Yes, all over the west side. And then there are six neighborhood dinners that we have. So the figure for that is 79% of our church attend on a regular basis one of those six dinners. Now that's awesome in and of itself to be a part of the, oh my gosh, Cassandra. <laughs> Take note, that's awesome. But 45% of you have communicated to us that you have taken the opportunity to invite somebody who doesn't know Jesus, like Jesus, know about the church or like the church to one of these events to one of these dinners, to one of these block parties that we have every other week, and they're coming up this week. Boop. So just so you guys know, 45% of that number has taken it upon themselves to invite somebody to be a part of a gathering where we can just be present, show them that Christians aren't freaks. If you're here and you're unchristian, that's part of my goal as a pastor is to show you that all Christians are constantly obsessed with DC Talk or wear Not of the World t-shirts. If you do those things, that's awesome. We just don't all do that. Anyway, <laughs> now let's talk for a moment. We're doing datas and figures. I like DC talk. Okay, I'm a Jesus freak. I'm all about it. Don't get me wrong. Let's talk for a moment about one of my favorite subjects. One of all of our favorite subjects. Let's talk about money. Let's talk about finances for a moment. The church, well, the way churches and Christians are to view money and allow me to say this up front, are to, wait, are to view money and to view our possessions is as a tool. We are to see our money and our possessions as a tool. Disciples of Jesus Christ see things as a steward would, as a manager would, so that all that we have, including your bank accounts, including my bank accounts, Christians, all that we have is potential. We are to see it as potential. Not for profit, but for people. We're to see our money not as profit, but for people. Church, our money's comings and goings is about helping, giving, caring, supporting people, and expanding the reach of the good news of Jesus, pure and simple. So when we talk about money, that's what we're talking about. So let's look at our finances. Um, if you didn't know this, this is good to know, that we have partner churches churches across the country that have committed to help us in our startup years, like this past year, in the hopes that we would one day, in a, you know, about four or five years down the road, one day, as soon as possible, become fully financially independent. That is our goal, fully financially independent. And in our second year, get this, our own church community was able to cov cover 80 1% of our expenses. 81%. 81%. Gosh, that's amazing. Many of the partnering churches expect, oh, five years, you'll get there. The trajectory, the tra excuse me, the trajectory that we are on now is unbelievably healthy and huge. Just so you guys know, our biggest year of giving yet was this past year the year I called the year from hell. <laughs> that was our biggest year of giving. Man, so many of you have given 
in such tremendous, generous ways. I am proud to be a pastor. I know Lorenzo is proud to be a pastor at this church. We're also debt-free. It's huge. We're in the black. I'm liking this applauding thing. I'm into it. Uh, we give away 12% to church plants and impactful causes. You guys can ask us about that later. Uh, 62% of our givers, you guys, do so on a reoccurring basis. So allow me just to say that right now. Thank you for that. That is unbelievably helpful for us to determine who we can give to and who we can support and when we can give to them. Now, I would just say this. If you're not giving on a reoccurring basis, but mission members or you consider this your home church, please, we'd invite you to please consider for our community and our missional pursuits for the here and beyond to actually be able to give on a reoccurring basis because that helps us to plan, budget, and think about who we can support and how we can make sure that the gospel of Jesus is spreading across this world. So I'd invite you to consider doing that. So there's so much things to rejoice over here. Lots of data, lots of information, unbelievable things that God is doing in and through you, and even the unspoken things that we just can't really calculate. So I hope you're encouraged because all of this means Everything we just covered, all of this means that we are growing in depth and foundation with our trust in God as a community. So as I report this fruit, we are to look ahead. What does our third year, what does going into our third year look like? Well, it involves what we prayed for at our very first prayer gathering so many years ago. And I would say boldness to take great risks, to be filled with faith, to be dreamers, to be that type of people who bet the farm type risk takers, to not be the type of people to insult God with small beliefs and safe living, to learn from the Israelites. Look at verse 27. And they told him, we came to the land to which you sent us, it flows with milk and honey, and this is its fruit. However, the people who dwell in the land are strong, and the cities are fortified and very large. And besides, we saw the descendants of Anak there. The Amalekites dwelt in the land of Negeb. The Hittites, the Jebusites, the Amorites dwell in the hill country. The Canaanites dwell by the sea and along the Jordan. But Caleb quieted the people before Moses and said, Let us go up at once incredible urgency. Let us go up at once and occupy it, for we are stronger. Were we were able to come overcome. Verse 31, then the men who had gone up with them said, mm, we are not able to go up against the people, for they are stronger than we are. So they brought to the people of Israel a bad report of the land, and they said they had spied out, saying, The land through which we have gone to spy out, spy out no, to spy it out, is a land that devours in its inhabitants, and all the people that we saw in there are of great height. And there we saw the Nephilim, the sons of Anak, who came, who come from the Nephilim, and seemed to ourselves like grasshoppers. And so we seemed to them. The descendants of Anak, I mean, you have to imagine, it's like, a land of Andre the Giants walking around. You know what I mean? Like Shaquille O'Neal's everywhere. Does that make sense? I mean, everybody, it's just, it's just enormous people, this descendants. But notice Caleb's response as they're talking about Andre the Giants everywhere. Notice Caleb's response to the other 10 spies isn't, liar! 
Did you notice that? Liar! You're lying! There's no giants down there! Every spy here has the same information. They've seen the same thing. They have the same report. But 10 of the spies react to what they've seen quite, quite differently. And use what, in my opinion, has to be one of the most dangerous words in all of faith. Did you catch it? God's going to do this. God's going to do that. God's going to give us. God is strong. Look at verse 28, the most dangerous word. However, however, the people who dwell in the land are strong. The 10 pessimistic spies don't mention the name of God once. They are leaders. They are chiefs. They are people of God who have stopped asking the question, what will God do? And they now ask, what can we do? Collective Church, your pastors have been greatly, greatly stirred these last couple of months. And I've spoken with many of you, and I believe that some of the people I've spoken with have also felt that same stirring. That 2018 must be the year we stop, we stop, we stop asking what is manageable, what is comfortable, what is familiar, what is within our grasp, what is controllable, what can we do? And we start asking, what does God want? We start asking, what can God do? That is the riskiest question a church can ask. I, as your pastor, will be the first to admit, and I will confess to every single one of you right now, I've got, a, a little, I've got some Caleb in me, like, let's, yes, let's go take it, some urgency. But there is a very, very thick side of me that feels like the other 10 spies. To play it safe, that sees the many challenges ahead. For example, for example, for three years, we have been searching hunting, and praying for a venue. If you didn't know this, this is in our building. If you've come here for the first time, we're not Risen Church. We meet at Risen Church. This is in our venue. Lorenzo put it greatly. I hope I can say this, how we do it, but we're, we're sort of in our mother's basement. As far as a gathering space. Can I say that? Am I busted? It's too late now. <laughs> Phil, edit out. So, I say that because I'm, I, I am hopeful to say what I'm about to say next, but at the same time, extremely nervous about what I'm about to say next. And that is we are in the serious, more finalizing type stages of finally getting our own Sunday morning gathering venue. I'm excited, yes, yes. Oh. Thank you, Cherry. I know I kind of didn't build it up in the best ways because it's not fully finalized. There is a lot of details to work out, but what you will hear from Pastor Lorenzo and I in the near future is this, that we need to, with this space, do what they call a test run and have a Sunday morning there. So in the very near future, blank this day, we're going to say meet there to give it a run through. He's an incredible person. The, the, the land order is very nice about what this place may be, but if it doesn't work out, it doesn't work out and we will see what God has for us. So nothing's finalized, but we want to let you know that there are, yeah, there, there are, God is doing things, and I will be the first to admit that there's giants in the land. There are massive challenges ahead. 
for all of us. There are massive challenges ahead, but we need to become people who see God over giants. Friends, it's people who say however that are the ones who have lost their identity in God, who have won to have lost the identity of God. And hear me very clearly. When obedience to God has become conditional on our personal level of comfort and risk, we are no longer functioning as the church. The 10 spies that the personal cost to obedience to God in this moment was just too high. Oh, God. See, God, we are delighted to receive all good things. We are delighted to gather. We are delighted to sing. We are delighted to, 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 to worship. But dare you, God, have for us something outside of our comfort level, then we respond thankfully, no thank you. That's exactly what happened with the Israelites. See, God, should you have for us something unsafe and risky, like, let's make it practical, like dining with enemies, people we don't like in our own home? Ooh. Something unsafe and risky, God, like serving and volunteering, even when we don't feel like it? Ugh. Like getting to know our neighbors, even expressing the gospel to them? Like working towards relationships with those that we may not have a thing in common with? Like confessing in our discipleship groups the blackest of sins? Like giving financially to the mission of the church within our means where it would be considered generous? And on that note, allow me to charge some of us for just a certain moment to a very certain group of people. The majority of our givers this last year gave up to $500. And then a smaller percentage of that gave up to about $1,000. Um, over the course of 12 months. That's $83 a month, or equals out to, if you want, to say $21 a week. $21 a week. For some of you, financially, that's unbelievably generous, and praise Jesus. Thank you. For others, giving is an afterthought. Oh, the basket's coming. And the now, please hear me when I say the word generous. When I say the word generous, I am not making this a financial issue. Generosity is a heart issue. I'm asking for all of us, for you, to examine your hearts. We do not have to be Kanye West eating caviar off of gold bars to be able to be generous, right? People with a lot or people with a little can be, should be Christians who are generous. Because it's not a money thing, right? It's a what? A heart thing. Now hear me out. We look at 2018. What if we were risky givers? Looking at 2018, what if we were irrational, financial, generous givers? People who believe that it's far more blessed to give than receive because our hearts were full of trust. To know God that every time we give, it's saying, how much do you trust me? Giving generously basically says, I trust you, I trust you, I trust you. You see, all of this is about belief versus unbelief. Did you guys, have you guys caught that in the scriptures yet? It's about belief versus unbelief, what we've read today. God responds to Moses in chapter 14. Look what God says to Moses about this total rebellion. 
That's what he says. And the Lord said to Moses, how long will these people despise me? And how long will they not believe in me? In spite of all the signs that I have done among them. This isn't just some disobedience issue. This isn't some fear factor thing. This is about unbelief and a simple fact that the Israelites decided not to trust. Now, can I sober the living, there's kids in here. Can I sober the living poo out of us? I wasn't going to say it, Hillary. I got your back. Can I sober us for a moment? This is so sobering. The Israelites decided to not enter the promised land because they didn't trust God. So the numbers, the unnecessary book, is them wandering in the, dead, the desert because, uh, because of their choice. But get, get this. Guess what they did for 38 years? Guess what they did throughout the rest of the book of Numbers? You ready for this? They held church services. They worshiped. They hung out. They had neighborhood dinners. They did women's retreats. They read C.S. Lewis. They played Settlers of Catan. They went to coffee shops and held Bible studies. That's what they did for 38 years. That is a life of religion, not a life of reliance. They did not take any risk or faith to advance the purposes of God in their life. This should terrify us. My son, I was watching him the other day, he, he, you know, he plays with his action figures and he makes them fight and he'll make them do these incredible jumps. And he'll do this, he'll make them fall off cliff, cliffs. And he does all the things that real heroes and action men would do minus the risk. See, what the Israelites show us is that it's possible. It's possible to play church and entirely miss the church. To be the church, though, is to what? To live in risk. Here's the thing. If you're going to take anything away from today, anything at all, please take this for our push for the next 12 months. It's this. Your pastors are not calling you to do more. We are calling you to be less, less, less. Now, if you're thinking that's sort of counterintuitive, to be honest, nothing God calls his people to makes a lick of sense, right? God knew there were Andre, giants, Andre the Giants down in the valley. He knew that. He still said go. And when the spies heard that, they said, we are not able to go up against them, for they are stronger than we, Right? They evaluated their own strength and said, it's impossible. We're not enough. We don't have enough. I am calling, we are calling this church to be less. Less strong, less self-confident, less fearful, less self-reliant, less nervous, less independent. This is something only the gospel of Jesus Christ would ask of us. Because every other faith system and religion asks for more. Christianity says since we are united with Christ, we don't need to spend our lives working to be more. It's been given, it's been done. Church, collective, everything we need and long for in Christ we already possess. 
so then we can spend our life giving versus gripping because we don't need anything. Allow me to remind us and hopefully fuel us that Jesus is strong so we can be weak. Jesus is someone so we can be no one. Jesus is extraordinary so we're free to be ordinary. Jesus succeeded so we are free to fail. Because Jesus gives us abundantly more than we can think or ask, we are free to be less. Because God will, we are free to receive. Because that's so counterintuitive, it feels unfamiliar. Because that's so religious, it feels uncomfortable. I love how one minister says this, but this quote is so epic. He says, um, don't imagine the Bible's full of comfortable or reassuring things about the life of belief and trust. It isn't. It is often about the appalling cost of letting God come near you and trying to trust him when all the evidence seems to have gone. Man, that quote is so good. Collective Church, are we ready for our third year and the appalling cost of letting God come even nearer and nearer and nearer to us? Even nearer and nearer to our wallets? If you are a Christian and you have never been generous financially, this is a calling. Nearer and nearer to our time, If you claim to be a Christian and your time and your agenda is purely self-focused, this is a calling. To your talents, to let God near to our securities. See, our third year of church, our third year is the year that we seek to believe in a bigger God, not a lesser God. May we not settle for who he is and what he wants to do. May we not settle May we not settle. To not settle for a lesser God, for a lesser mission, for a lesser gospel, and for a lesser church. So I ask you right now, what is familiar to you? What is familiar for you right now? Are you here because it's familiar? Is religion more familiar? Is that what you're wanting? Are you going around looking for a church that's just so overly familiar? I'll wrap it up with this. Look at verse 14, or chapter 14, verse 1. We're just going to spill into chapter 14 for a moment, but this is insane. Then all the congregation, essentially the whole church, raised a loud cry, and the people wept that night. And all the people of Israel grumbled against Moses and Aaron. The whole congregation said to them, Would that we had died in the land of Egypt? Or would that we had died in the wilderness? Why is the Lord bringing us into the land to fall by the sword? Our wives and our little ones will become prey. Would it not be better for us to go back to Egypt? And they said to one another, let us choose a leader and go back to Egypt. The single greatest event in Hebrew history is the Exodus, where God saves his people, again, like we said, from from bondage and from the oppression of Egyptian slavers. Yet what do we read here? Let us choose a leader and go back to Egypt. They want to reverse the Exodus, the single greatest event in their history. These Israelites would rather be back in slavery or suffering in the wilderness, not because it's easier, but get me, because it's familiar. That is dark. That is dark. I would rather die I would rather be in pain. I would rather be in slavery, not because it's easier, 
but because it's familiar, then go into the unknown of where God would have me. See, I asked you what is familiar to you, but maybe a greater question is, what is the unfamiliar? We are on the border, I believe, in this year of the unknown as a church. Yeah, what's yet to be seen is if you will go in, if we will go in. See, we don't want to be a church that stays in the familiar. That in and of itself is a risk to stay in the familiar. What is the unfamiliar for you? Allow me to just ask a list of questions trying to pertain to the entire group of people here and then we'll wrap it up. What is the unfamiliar for you? Is it mission membership? What is the unfamiliar for you? Is it joining a discipleship group? What is the unfamiliar? Is it starting to follow Christ for the first time? Is it giving more financially to be generous? Is it volunteering? We have 99 volunteers and it's still not enough. We need volunteers. This is the call right now that I'm encouraging. If you call this church your home, your community, please sign up. We need your help. If not, I will say this, but I will say this lovingly, then you are consuming and not a contributor. We need your help. We need your help in order to broaden our missional efforts for Jesus here on the West Side. This is life-saving stuff. Is it talking to a neighbor? Is that what's unfamiliar? A coworker or a classmate? Is it stepping into leadership? Is it stepping out of leadership? See, what happens if within the next 12 months we committed ourselves to having one neighbor over for dinner? Within the next 12 months. What happens if within the next 12 months we as followers of Jesus sought diligently to reach, teach, and equip others to do the same? To make the churches, our church's mission statement, my own personal mission statement. What happens over the next 12 months, our vision of multiplication was far more exceedingly great than just mere subtraction or addition. What if over the next 12 months, we multiplied, you multiplied your discipleship group and invited unfamiliar people who desired to grow? Well, I really like my discipleship group. Familiar. What if we committed to telling somebody about the love of Jesus, to reading the scriptures regularly, to make decisions on the basis of blessing others and not ourselves, decided to attend the church gathering faithfully and not just when we serve, committed to praying for the pastors weekly. Lorenzo and I covet, need, and are asking humbling right now, please pray for us. Please write it on your face, write it on your hands, whatever you do. Pray for Casey. Pray for Lorenzo. Really pray for Lorenzo. (laughs) Where was I? Anyway, to ultimately live in the reality of our prayer meeting from years ago, and that was to what? Be bold. We prayed for this. We prayed that God would bring us to the border, to the threshold. May we have the boldness to enter. Because I can say with full assurance, that's the type of church that God is calling his people to become. Amen? Let's pray.